Thank you, my sister Carmen. But I'm sorry. The earlier one. I'm sorry about that. I am delighted to preach here at H. Quick, where my daughter Helen and sister and her husband Patrick attend with their children Jack and Maggie. And also where Amy and I attended until about 10 years ago. I see many of my brothers and sisters here this morning, and uh, I'm glad, it's glad to see you. Amy sends her regards. It will not be a surprise that she is teaching this morning at what we call a learning community. That's what you call Sunday school, maybe, at Grantham this morning. And when I walked in here, I started walking down the aisle. I thought, oh, who's the music group? It's on the question. It's gospel choir. And uh, I got closer, and it was seven. And we were together Thursday night at Mount Gretna in the tabernacle, and we didn't even know we were going to be together uh, today. I knew we were going to be there. Um, so they have to listen to me three times in three days. So count your blessings out there. Um, Although it'll only be two different sermons that you'll be hearing. Um, I'm glad you're preaching through the book of the Bible, James. And I will remember, I will remember over and over the analogy of James to what a pimple popping? Is that what was said? Is that what was said? Actually, that's not bad. Um, I'll remember that. I'm not use it. Um, we, sometimes, when you preach through books of the Bible, I like doing that because it forces you to preach from things you want to preach from, but also things you don't want to preach from. And today, I'll be preaching today from some verses that I want to preach from, and maybe some verses that I need to preach from. And that's what happens when we work our way through a book like this, which I think is great. Um, Pastor Hank asked me to read a uh, preach from James chapter 4, so let's read it. Begin by reading it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? You desire that you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. If you may spend what you get on your pleasures, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with God means enmity against friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell among us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. 
When you judge the law, you are not keeping it. You're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, like you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a myth that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you are to ask, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then wants knows the good that ought to do, but doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Lord, tell us what we need to know and show us what we ought to do to draw near to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When I was a child, my life was focused on my faith and the church. Sunday mornings and evenings were spent in worship. Thursday evenings were prayer meetings. The fall and the spring brought two-week revival services. And the week in August was camping. Worldly activities were subservient to commitments that would draw us near to God. I remember Dad talking to my Little League baseball coach in front of the team, asking if I could be excused on Thursday evenings from practice so that I could go to Sunday. That was embarrassing. But it taught me that my relationship with God is more important than my success in the world. Moreover, in those days, the world made it easier for churches. Blue Lodge reads Sunday for worship. Wednesday night was church night, with no school activities in the public schools. Workers were excused from their job on Good Friday afternoon so they could attend the three-and-a-half-hour service on Jesus' seven last words on the cross. Even the culture seemed to understand the importance of setting time to be near to God. But perhaps the removal of all those public concessions and church activities was good because it made us decide what is really important. Being near to God or to the world. But being near to God is more than going to church. Religious activities are to prepare us for living in the world in such a way that we show to others what being near to God is about. James 4 give some suggestions about how we draw near to God. In the previous chapter, James talked about the tongue and evil deceit. What does the tongue have to do with being near to God? The strife we see everywhere in our world is produced by the tongue, which symbolizes the words we speak in person and on social media. James says that our tongue can cause strife that leads us away from God. 
be near to God. We submit our selfish desires to the commandment to love your neighbor. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, Jesus says, When you bring your gifts to the altar, in other words, when you come to worship, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gifts there at the altar and go and be reconciled with them and then come offer your gifts. We cannot draw us near to God if we are not on good terms with our Christian brother and sister. And by drawing near to our neighbors in the world, to our brothers and sisters in the church, we draw near to God. The causes of strife that lead us away from God are addressed in James chapter 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James says that selfish desires are literally fights and wars. Military terms are used here. Strife is portrayed as a military conflict. And our international disputes come from the selfish concern that other nations threaten our pride and prosperity. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is rooted in a national desire for empire and for the wealth of the Ukrainian weakness. Although strife and greed are the basis for war, James is more interested in interpersonal disputes. Selfish concerns put us at odds with our friends in the world and with our brothers and sisters in the church. The strife that these desires lead to is in dramatic contrast to the last verse of the previous chapter of James, James 3, which speaks of peace. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap the reward of righteousness. To seek peace, we draw near to God. And the fights and quarrels of verse 1 become more graphic in verse 2. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Guilt is really extreme here, doesn't it? You kill? Well, in James' day, to take one's living was to take his life. The first commandment says, You shall not covet or desire what someone else has. To draw near to God, we resist selfish desires that lead to covetousness. But even our prayers can be dominated by covetous desires. In verse 3, James says, You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. In Matthew 7 8, Jesus promises that our prayers will be answered. Asking, you will receive. The one who seeks, fine. To the one who knocks, the door will be open. God wants to answer every prayer. Nevertheless, our selfish desires can stand in the way of our prayers. Our prayers being answered. We see, in essence, not thy will, but mine be done. Such prayers inhibit our being near to God. 
And sometimes our prayers are for the wrong things. In those cases, the best thing is our prayers not be answered. Country Western singer Garth Brooks was asked to explain the title of his song, Unanswered Prayer. He said it came to him when he and his wife ran into an old girlfriend. When they were going together, Garth prayed he and his old girlfriend would be together forever. Well, he says, sometimes the best prayers are the ones God does not answer. And James says, we sometimes pray with the wrong motive. Today we might pray for the house of our dreams, or a good car, or a more prestigious job. James says, we should not ask for things that fulfill our pleasures. One of the hottest Christian videos on the web several years ago was by the wife of a popular television preacher saying, God wants you to be happy. That makes God happy. Well, speaking of precise commencement, Tony Campolo said, when I grew up, my father didn't care whether I was happy or not. That was the least of his concerns. <laughs> Thank you. Tony said, God didn't care whether I was happy or not. He wanted me to be good. God is probably more like Tony's father than that TV preacher's wife. And sometimes what draws us near to God doesn't make us immediately happy. Our prayer should not be to bring up pleasure, but to conform our will to the will of God. In the end, we may not be happy, but we will be blessed. And blessedness is different from happiness. Happiness comes from circumstances. We are happy when we get a raise. We are happy when we pass an exam. We are happy when we win a game. But happiness is rooted in things that happen to us. Blessedness is from God. We can be blessed when we lose our job. We can be blessed when we fail in the We can be blessed when we lose the game. Blessedness is rooted in being near to God. James' next words seem like an overreaction again. Verse 4 said, You are both those people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Here, world means what is against God. A person was out for a walk with a friend who noticed a beautiful flower and exclaimed, What a lovely flower! The person responded, I have learned there's nothing lovely in this lost and sinful world. The person missed James' meaning of the word world. World is not the physical cosmos. It's God created. But the evil world arrayed against God. When James says the friend of the world is an enemy of God, he's not talking about appreciating this beautiful world that God created, but about turning from the evil world that draws us away from God. But 
but why did James call his listeners adulterous people? That just seems strange here. But the prophet pictured the covenant between Israel and God as a marriage. Those who break the covenant with God are adulterers. Today, we are God's people in a marriage covenant with God. To disobey God is to break our marriage vows with God. We become adulterers. God will not tolerate any commitment to any other God. Money, power, sex. I asked my ministerial students in Africa, what idols there keep them from drawing near to God? Their response? Money, sex, power. We share our idols with our brothers and sisters around the world. Idols like money, sex, power, and others keep us from drawing near to God. According to verse 5, James says, do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell among us? The Old Testament repeatedly says God is jealous. The second commandment affirms that. You do not do you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The word used by James there connotes hot and burning. Our word for zeal. God is jealously jealous about us. God loves us so much with such a passion that he can tolerate no rival love in it. If God is jealous, how can we ever give God the devotion that he deserves? The answer? God gives us the grace that we need. According to verse 6, if God gives us more grace, that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. God's grace is available. To receive it, we must humbly realize our need. The word translated proud here means one who shows contempt for other people. The word humble refers to the poor and the lowly. The proud often don't understand the humble. Commentator Dean Perkins says, One Sunday, when pastor was preaching eloquently about our concern for the poor, the woman next to him, who had worked all her life so that her family would not fall into the category described by James' word before, a humble answer. He leaned over to Perkins and said, the trouble with that preacher is, he doesn't know what it's really like. The humble experience a world stacked against him. Little things like a blown tire or a roof leak or a doctor's prescription could be a serious economic setback for the humble. But God exalts the humble. On the other hand, James counsels the proud to recognize that their wealth and achievements are not due to their abilities, but are gifts in order that they will support the humble. 
Jesus' kingdom, the first will be last, and the last first. In verses 7 and 8, James focuses most clearly on being near to God. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stay near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humility involves resisting the devil and his idols of money, sex, power, to draw near to God. James goes on in verses 8 and 9 to instruct us on how we resist the devil to draw near to God. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will lift you up. How does washing hands and purifying hearts turn our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom? Persons who turn to God discover the selfish desires they used to, used to bring them joy are now evidence of a separation from God. Their weeping and wailing proves their penitence is sincere. That will turn, that then will turn their mourning into dancing, which these people sang about earlier. We found that They will turn their mourning into laughter after they turn to God. When John Wesley preached to minors, they were moved to shed tears that made pop through the dirt on their faces. Only when a person realizes his sin is he ready for God's forgiveness. Though we lay weak now, the humble will be lifted up and the proud will be humbled. Humility draws us near to God. If what's the contrast between pride and humility is best exemplified in the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray in Luke. I will not suggest this passage. I want you to attend to it rather than reading it. Just listen. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James becomes more practical about how we humble ourselves and thus draw near to God. He thinks his listeners as brothers and sisters, communicating affection. According to verse 11, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. To slander means to insult or damage another person's good name. William Barker says, there are few activities which the average person finds more delightful than listening to juicy gossip. To tell and listen to a slanderous story is for all people a fascinating activity. Slander is sometimes seen as a harmless sin, but in reality it is the worst of sins because it breaks the commandment to love your neighbor. 
refusal to love drives us away from God. In verse 13, James returns to another issue related to drawing near to God. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this or that city, spend a year there and carry on business and make money. This was the time of the founding of the great cities, Ephesus in Asia and Corinth in Greece. A merchant might say, it's a new city with a great possibility. I'll get in on the ground floor and get rich. That merchant typifies the one who shows his friendship with the world rather than friendship with God. In verse 14, James continues to point out how foolish such speculation is. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a myth. It appears for a little while and then vanishes. James is talking here about the functional atheist. The person who believes in God. The plan's life is if God does not exist and that tomorrow is a certainty. There's an Arab proverb that says there are no pockets in a crowd. Now, that didn't come to you here. A more modern example of that is I never saw her pulling a U-Haul. Something about that one. Um, the modern equivalent is you can't take it with you. James says no one can be confident, can be confident of future prosperity. Tomorrow is in the hands of God. And yet, the uncertainty of life should not cause us to despair, but it should cause us to trust in God. Little brother in Christ, you say, if the Lord carries, I'll do this or that. James says the same thing in verses 15 and 16. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Sometimes we think we're responsible for our achievements. A basic element of true humility is a recognition that God is in charge of the world and our lives. To be confident in the future, draw near to God. Because the future is in God's hands. The early Puritans believed that the creation, that before the creation of the world, God predestined some to be saved and others to be lost. In my judgment, that's impossible, but in any case, before the foundation of the world, God predestined some to be saved and others to be lost, causing them to be insecure because they did not know for which group God had chosen them. They looked for evidence. If God was blessing them with wealth, he thought perhaps that was evidence that God had chosen them to be a part of the elect. So they saw possession as evidence of God's blessing. Of course, the converse then is also true, isn't it? The poor must not be among the elect. So wealth became seen as a sign of God's blessing, and poverty a curse of God. The Protestant ethic. James says, if boasting in our own prosperity and success keeps us from drawing near to God, who is responsible for all that we have. Recognizing that God is the source of all our blessings allows us to draw near to God. Let's summarize the ways that James says we draw near to God. First, we conform our wills and desires to God's will. Second, we are friends of God, not the world. Third, 
we humble ourselves before God. Fourth, we speak well of others. And fifth, we depend on God every day. That's how we join with God. My parents chose to worship God even when it conflicted with activities competing for their time. And each week, we are given the opportunity to draw near to God rather than the world and assembling for worship. And yet, worship loses its value if it is not evidenced in our lives. The title of this sermon series is appropriate here. Living out our faith. That's what James is talking about. Allow Pastor James to bring us each Sunday into the presence of God to prepare us to show the world what it means to be near to God. James tells us how to do that. Let's repeat those five statements again. Can you say them with me? Number one, conform our desires to God's will. Number two, be friends with God, not the world. Number three, humble ourselves before God. Number four, speak well of others. And number five, depend on God every day. Thank you. James 4 ends with a proverbial statement. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Humbly doing what we know to be good rather than what is best for us helps us to draw near to God. Let's go. Lord, help us to harness our desires so that we humbly come before you. When we worship, may we declare that you are our God. And may we take every day as a gift from you. May we wash our hands of the evils of this world and draw near to you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We invite you to stand and sing with us.
song. I don't know whether it's God, you know, the Holy Spirit that does these things, but I don't think I can think about a song to follow up on my prayer. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord's countenance be upon you and bring you peace. Amen. Self-blessing.